Good afternoon. Today is Friday, March 31st, 2017, and welcome to today's edition of the Voices for Racial Healing podcast on Blog Talk Radio. We are live, and I'm glad you've decided to join me today. I'm your host, Tishka Smith, and I'm pleased to be back after a two-week hiatus. Life got really busy, and I had to attend to a number of offline obligations, but we're back, and on this last day of March, I'm looking forward to a great lineup of guests in April. Before we start today, I just want to remind you of a few things. We will be taking calls for today's conversation with Soul Restoration Workshop series creator and healer, Irva Baden, at 516-387-1796. You can find us on the web at VoicesForRacialHealing.com. We're on Twitter as HealRacismUSA. You can use the hashtag Voices for Racial Healing when tweeting us. Um, You can get information on Instagram about the podcast at Racism is a Sickness, which is the art installation and community engagement project that I created back in 2015 that started all this. And, and, and consider becoming a Patreon supporter. You can learn more and sign up today at www.patreon.com forward slash Voices for Racial Healing. Finally, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Tishka Smith. You can find links to all of my social media at my website, tishkasmith.com. And before I bring on Irva, I um, want to just give you a little bit um, of information about her. So I'm uh, really thrilled beyond measure to be um, bringing her on today. She is a contemporary shaman who weaves together various healing modalities with compassion and humor to journey with folks who are committed to their own path of deep healing and transformation. She is one of the original co-founders of Shadow Work Seminars Trademark, a Reiki master and a longtime facilitator in the Woman Within organization. She has also studied energy work, chakra healing, and core shamanic techniques under the direction of internationally recognized teachers. With more than 25 years of experience in facilitating process work around the world, for the past several years, she's studied trauma recovery and the epigenetic changes caused by trauma particularly the intergenerational effects of trauma experienced by one's ancestors. She is currently focusing her work on assisting people to reclaim their lives and or their soul's balance, their soul's radiance, I'm sorry, from the effects of the traumas of racism. And um, looks like she's joined us. Let me bring her on. Good afternoon, Irva. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Welcome to Voices for Racial Healing. I'm so excited to have you on I am today. Too. Great, too. great, great. Um, so let's jump right in. I just, I read your bio from your website. Yes. Um, and um, just to let people know, to learn more about Irva and her, her work, visit the website, onesourceenergywork.com. Okay, so with all that said, is there anything that I missed that um, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I want to ask a, a opening question. So, yes, ma'am. how did you come to develop your practice in energy work and healing? What was the what was the what was the moment, the decisive moment that made you go, ah, I need to be doing this? Hmm. Hmm. Well, boy, we're going back even further than I thought we might be going back. Okay. Um, sometime in my early thirties. Um, and I've, I have worked in medicine pretty much all my life in, in various various capacities, various technological capacities. Anyhow, so I was diagnosed with what's called Crohn's disease, okay. which is um, in, we sometimes call it inflammatory bowel disease. Too much information? Sorry. No. And, Fine. <laughs> and as I moved through that and, you know, moved through it in the Western medicine tradition, I was not liking the effects of the steroids that I was on and all manner of other medications and everything. And I had always been like a little off-center kind of girl. And so I started looking up um, herbal remedies. And that's, I think, really what started it for me. Um, I got interested in herbal uh, remedies and I just kept going from there and eventually ended up with energy work, various forms of energy work, became a Reiki master, um, looked at all manner of internal um, emotional issues that could be related to the physical stuff. So that was pretty fascinating to me um, Mm -hmm. because it really in the early days, I think, of, you know, mind, body, spirit stuff. Mm-hmm. And things just progressed on and on and on, uh, and here I am now. Here you are now, and we <laughs> are living in extraordinarily interesting yet stressful times, so it's very um, timely that your work has come to the forefront, particularly around the issue of trauma recovery, intergenerational trauma, um, some would say post-racial, post-traumatic slave disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all kinds of monikers and, and reference points. But the, the bottom line is you're doing really important and timely work. And I want to spend pretty much the rest of the time together talking about um, the Soul Restoration um, Project mm-hmm. and, okay. like, how you came to conceive this project, what exactly is ep- epigenetics? What is that? And what <laughs> are you? What exactly are you? What are you doing? Where are you at? Who have you been able to work with? What is you know those kinds of questions? Um, so I'll start with first question. Like, what is epigenetics for those who don't really know what that is? What is that? Cool, cool. It's a big word. Mm-hmm. Um, to dis- describe the way that people are really, um, I'm going to say the F word. I'll just let everybody know that now. It's a good way to describe how people are really fucked up and okay. don't understand um, where, you know, their issues and stuff came from. The scientific mm-hmm. and um, it's moving more into medicine is explanation is that traumas that occur to anyone, whether they are big traumas or little traumas, um, there's a point at which in milliseconds we make decisions and all manner of uh, brain stuff goes on, all manner of 
um, chemical reactions and things happen. But basically, particularly in the field that I'm looking at, is that it leaves a mark on our DNA. And Mm -hmm. so when I think of that, it's like, oh, my God. Now, I'm not a scientist, and I, I don't all of this stuff very well, but the way that I explain it generally in the workshop is that just like if you cut yourself, it's going to leave a scar. The -hmm. scar needs to heal over, and in time, perhaps it will even disappear, but it needs attention. It needs, you know, some sort of, you know, lotions and cleanings and bandages, and all. but it needs attention. And even if it gets attention, there may be sometimes if you bump against something or there's bad weather, damp weather, all of us with arthritis know this one, you Mm -hmm. know, you start feeling that thing. You start feeling it. And perhaps you even start guarding against it. So if I've got like a bad elbow, you know, I'm going to keep that thing, which actually I I have. Um, I'm going to keep, you know, keep guarding that and making sure that that doesn't get hurt again. Mm-hmm. So what's happened in humans is that these markers that, you know, our ancestors, um, not markers, but the the traumas that our ancestors experienced left the markers in them. Mm-hmm. And they made certain decisions at that time. The interesting piece is that they also passed on genetically um, some what's called the marker, to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you would hope that the next generation would have no traumas. Nah, not quite, not here in America. And those traumas then compounded. They were then passed on to the next generation. More traumas occurred, and stuff gets passed on until we have actually, say, a big, a big old wound or scar or marker in our system that's not physically visible, but there right. may be ways that we react out of that unconsciously. Mm-hmm. We need to address that. Yeah. Uh, if you have a wound that's infected and infected for days, weeks, years, or generations, you've got to go and get something done. You've got to clean that thing out. Perhaps, you know, I'm, it's the medical part of me. It's like get it lanced and cleansed and all of that stuff. Right. And what I've come to to believe is that as black folks here in the United States and African-descended black folks, we need to be clearing out those wounds of all of the crap that went on during slavery times, after that, uh, during the Emancipation Proclamation. Woohoo! yeah, that was a great one. During Jim Crow stuff, on, on into the present. Um, the traumas of racism still exist. And we are still experiencing that stuff right now. Right. And so with that said, you know, we talked a little bit yesterday to kind of prep for today's podcast. We talked about the mm-hmm. age of Trump and how a lot of what going, what's going on could be triggering for African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it definitely has um, had an effect on me. You talked about the effect that it's had on you. What kind of effect does um, are you seeing it having on African Americans collectively? If you're well, looking at it through the lens of of epi, epigenetics and and intergenerational trauma, um, right. 
you know, some might argue, well, he's not really racist. He hasn't done anything explicitly that that's that smacks of racism. Um, although I would disagree with that, and you probably would disagree. I would with that disagree too. with that real strongly, girl. I just sat up straight. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some people who believe that. Um, well, that's and fine. Some people who believe that his ten point plan um, <laughs> for African Americans is going to be transformative, and it's going to be uh, is going to help uh, restore some balance to the force, if you will. Um, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, mm-hmm. the reality is, you know, his some of his actions, some of his words have been problematic. Um, I don't judge intentions; I judge actions. And what it boils down to, from what I'm hearing, is that the actions are what trigger um, individual and collective responses, um, having you know inherited you know trauma from previous generations related to race. So right. just going back to the question, how do you think the age of Trump will affect and has affected African Americans as a collective? What, well, we, what, should, what, what would you be seeing out in the field um, from African Americans <laughs> who are living under this, this nascent and very troubling regime? It's interesting that you use the term out in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for me that was immediately I got cotton field. You know, that's what popped okay. up in my head. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. we're back to the cotton field now. Um, I think that it's very subtle and overt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there has been, since his um, campaigning and his election, um there's been a, a rise in permission to be racist. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for a good several years, we really did not experience the overt racism um, that was experienced by perhaps ourselves, um, our grandparents, and generations before that. I think the, the last lynching that was recorded was in 1954. Uh, so, you know, that's like, okay, so there can't be racism. There's been no more lynchings and, uh, schools are integrated and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we all understand that there are still racist behaviors and thoughts, uh, that permeate the U.S. culture because it's systemic, uh, which for me means that it's like the air that we breathe. If the right. stuff was go- going on for at least 400 years, you know, when Africans were first uh, hunted, captured, and brought to this country and sold as, as cattle, there's not been any healing about that. And even though there laws have been passed to, you know, try and make things better, so they say, there's still been this like aroma for me it's almost like the air that we breathe this aroma Mm -hmm. of racism here in the united states yeah now i only speak of the united states because this is my lived experience i know that throughout the world there are um, other forms of oppression of black and brown people and i certainly empathize with that and 
my experience is from here and things that have happened to me, my generations, my ancestors, my family. Uh, that's the stuff that informs the work that, that I do. In terms of the current um, situation, I think we have we've gone back a step. You said field, and the first thing I did here was cotton field. And I think that in all the comments that I've heard from various uh, folks on news and, you know, different factions, like the Ku Klux Klan is back, honey, and they are happy to be back. Yeah. Uh, they are happy. To, they are happy back, and they are supported. They are well supported now. Yeah. Uh, and their rhetoric is out there again, combined with other people, other, say, groups of white folks who have felt disenfranchised. I understand that. They mm-hmm. have felt overlooked by big business, corporations, stuff like that. And and I agree with that. But this rhetoric now that's coming out is a way in which I think um, we will see the resurgence of the overt racism that uh, none of my generation necessarily really experienced. I think we're going way back and to a really bad place. I, you know, I, I agree. And even if it can't be seen or like, I mean, you can point to indicators like the rise of hate groups that's been documented. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there are other, like, people can counter claims of of racism um, by saying, well, you know, African Americans have, you know, have seen great strides and and have had plenty of opportunities to overcome discrimination and violence and uh, all kinds of other traumas. What are you talking about? Get over it. Um But really just going back to the idea of being triggered, um, not necessarily by, by, you know, by overt um, actions, but just like what they call microaggressions, like little things that kind of like, um, like nag at you and yeah, like make you like second guess. It's almost like gaslighting. Um, Yes, yes. But, you know, it's it's almost, it, it, it begs the question, so how do you get at, and I think what the work that you do gets at, how do you, how do you get at that sort of, that cellular level trauma um, that you can't even see and that you can't necessarily prove to other people who are already skeptical anyway mm-hmm. um, to, to really activate some level of healing and recovery. Um, and that's what I really like mm-hmm. about what you're doing. And when I came to know you, um, we were connected through a mutual acquaintance who knew about mm-hmm. the work that I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I remember from our initial conversation with is how the premise of my work resonated with you and then hearing about your plans <laughs> to roll out this, this series of workshops it resonated with me. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about the premise of your work, Mm -hmm. thinking about the current client we live in and thinking about what needs to happen on a cellular level to make people whole, make people Mm -hmm. who've been affected by this trauma whole the best Mm -hmm. that we can. 
Um, when did you, and, and you mentioned this in your bio, you, you said that you, um, that you were encouraged to get into this very specific work. You did study around trauma recovery. Um, but what was the moment when you said, you know what, I need to focus all of this experience that I have um, in energy work on healing the traumas um, experienced <laughs> by black people. When did that moment happen for you? Well, it's a strange story. I can tell you exactly when, but not the date. It happened one night at 3 o'clock in the morning in August of 2013. And I'm serious. <laughs> When I sat up from a deep sleep, truly a deep sleep, sat up Mm -hmm. in my bed going, what? And not audibly, but in my body heard, you need to write a workshop on healing from racism. Mm -hmm. Now, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not real happy to be up at that time. (laughs) Nevertheless... I turned the light on, and I got a pad and paper and started Mm -hmm. writing. Mm -hmm. And it has gone on since then. Um, My background at that point had been that I was doing a lot of what's called emotional process work or transformational work with various groups um, when I lived in the Midwest for a while and then when I moved back here to the East Coast. And I was facilitating in different ways for folks, the release of that stuff. And that stuff is the way our wounds get, like, twisted in our being and prevent us from moving forward in in our true radiant selves. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, you know, go to therapy for that stuff. Some people go to energy work for that stuff. Some people do acupuncture. That's fine. It's wonderful. Any modality that helps us to release, whether we want to call it trauma or just our issues, you know, our, mm-hmm. what, our, our issues are in our tissues. That used to be a good uh, good little phrase. Mm-hmm. People were banned. My issues are in my tissues, which means it's in my body. It's in my body. And in trauma recovery, there are a couple of good authors that, that I have really been drawn to. Um, several of which state that um, the trauma is actually held physically in the body until we can find ways to release it, heal it, and let that go. That's pretty interesting, amazing stuff. But back to the other story is that, so I kept writing, and several, you know, times I would be awakened in the middle of the night and just go, oh, geez, not again, okay. Uh, and write stuff down. And I actually still have those papers. I'm amazed that I still have them, but I do still have those papers. And it went from there. That was in August of 2013. I talked to friends, um, and I was clear that this work was going to be for African-descended women because the work that I had done in mixed groups or in uh, women's groups was generally for middle, upper-middle class white folks who had the bucks to pay for these workshops, um, you know, that were organized by other people, wonderful transformational workshops. And there were few people of color in any of them, in anywhere that I looked. Um, I did work here in the United States and also abroad. And still, in England, there weren't any people of color. 
in South Africa even. Um, I don't think we might have had two or three, but not, you know, there was nothing nothing that was drawing people in, people of color in. So uh-huh. it just came to me, you know, the message was clear to me, you know, this is your work now as with people of color. Additionally, I'm doing my own work, right? I mean, I've uh-huh. got stuff <laughs> that needs to be healed, and it was coming up pretty good for me, so I had, you know, <laughs> some good information. And just moving ahead with this, talking, doing a couple of focus groups, and had had like a mini pilot scheduled for April of 2014. Well, it's interesting we're talking today because on March 31st of 2014, I had a stroke. Oh, wow. Yeah. Today's the three-year anniversary. Really interesting. Um, And I lost complete vision in my left eye. Nothing else. I walk, I talk, you know, I'm okay. Um, But I see nothing out of my left eye. But that put a sort of a, it was an obstacle. It's what I call the first obstacle um, because there were lots of things I had to learn differently um, because of this particular impairment. And so, you know, I stopped writing stuff for a while and then also started looking at my own issues uh, around oppression and traumas that I experienced as, well, first of all, as the first first colored girl in the Catholic school that I went to, mm-hmm. we were colored then. That's a long time. Now, ago. where we are colored. you, Irvin? Where are you from? Baltimore. Baltimore. Okay. Baltimore. So not so in the, the road. Yeah. <laughs> in the fifties, Baltimore was not completely integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had the distinct whatever honor, pleasure. I don't think so. Of being the first colored girl in. St. Martin's Academy. Um, that was difficult, let me tell you, because I was taken out of first grade at the public school where all my friends were, you know, black and brown, and went to the school where there were there were no kids who looked like me, and mm-hmm. a lot of kids who looked at me and had lots of questions. Um, it was not not a great time, and there were other things that were going on in Baltimore. And you know, I grew up in the fifties and sixties, and it was a rough time. Mm-hmm. However, uh, one of the mechanisms that I believe that we uh, do as Black folks is say, "Mm-hmm, that was bad. We're not going to talk about that now. That's over. We're not going to talk about. It. We don't talk about slavery times. We don't talk about how we are wounded. Why bring that stuff up? Yeah. To what end? That, that, we don't want to remember any of that. Let's just keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Great philosophy, except the wound still lives there and can fester just like a physical wound. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at my own issues, not only of the racism and oppression that I had experienced, but also as a light-skinned African-American child okay. and woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's that whole issue there. Colorism. Colorism, right. Yeah, Um mm-hmm. I couldn't understand why my my cousins would lock me in the closet and call me the white witch. Oh wow! And it hurt. It hurt. That hurt. Yeah. As, you know, as a kid, that hurt. And of course, from most of the parents, is oh, just ignore them. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. So, but that I, but that wound sinks into your into your inner. I mean, it just sinks into your inner reality, and it stays there. If if I'm yes. understanding the premise. 
Yes. Uh, which I believe, I believe that. Um, and the work that you do helps to unearth that and heal it. Well, let's just take that particular one, the colorism mm-hmm. piece, and okay. how does that translate into my my life? Mm-hmm. Did uh, for a long time I did not trust black folks. I did not trust darker skinned black girls. I did not trust. I certainly didn't trust my cousins, but mm. you know, you you sort of get over that, as they say, but you don't. There's a part that doesn't get over it. And so I know that I lived my life, my early adult life, having mostly white friends Mm -hmm. and very few black friends. And I also know that I was sad about that. I mean, I can see that now. I couldn't see it then. I see it now. I missed having friends, you know, friends and even relations that were, all the shades of brown that we come in. And that was actually painful to me. Mm-hmm. So my eyeballs shut down so I could look inside and start doing my own work, um, which I continue to do. I can't say that, you know, there's a miracle cure or anything. This is continuing work. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so daunting is that there's so much stuff that we've got, we as black community, need to dig up and wash off and perhaps replant or discard. It just seems like daunting work. we got enough to do just living here. Why would I want to bring up all of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so it's, 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 it's a matter, I mean, I'm speaking for me. I can't speak for other black people, but for me, I think the resistance to... Um, not sitting with the wounds and working on healing them versus, you know, instead just kind of burying them, pushing them down and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, going forward, pushing forward, working harder, striving, trying to prove to the mainstream society that I'm worthy. Um, You know, it just, it's one of those things because you know that if you talk about it, People are going to shut down. And when I say people, I'm speaking, you know, specifically about white people and Mm -hmm. those skeptical black people who, you know, feel like they don't necessarily have to or want to drink, quote unquote, the Kool-Aid. You know, they just, (laughs) you know, they're like, get over it. It's nothing. You know, you're just, it's just all in your head, blah, blah, blah. So you don't want to have to, you don't have, you don't want to have to deal with that pushback. Mm -hmm. I think that's what Mm -hmm. motivates me. And, it, you know, there's this tension for me in terms of, you know, how hard do I push um, in my anti-racism work, you know, mm-hmm. and when you see people shut down, their eyes glaze over, you just say, you know what, forget it. <laughs> you know, that's right. kind of like my response, you know, just to, to not talk about it because of the reactions that you get, the negative reactions, the skepticism. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so your own personal experiences, early experiences, and I keep hearing this from people, is what mm-hmm. propels them to do this work or at least yeah. try to, you know, grapple with their own um, traumas, their own issues. Um, it starts very early. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know of anyone that I've talked to who didn't have an early experience <laughs> with mm-hmm. things, you know, that kind of stood out in their mind. 
story. So once you went on this journey, <laughs> what did you find? What did you find in yourself? Oh, my God. Uh, I found some dark places in myself, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also found, I found weakness and resistance myself in doing that, the work. And I also found strength and mm-hmm. determination. And I really want to let people know that um, both things exist equally, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a choice. There have been times I made a choice, like, no, I can't do this right now. I cannot. I just cannot do this. And there have been other times when I said, I'm doing this. I am doing this, and by this I mean I'm doing the work on myself. I'm doing the work to continue this project. I'm going to do the work to offer it to other people who want to do the work. And I, I will tell you the truth that I know about it so that you're not under any illusion to think this is going to be a walk in the park. Right. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important. I have had in the past, say, almost 10 years, I've had excellent support um, in doing my own journey. Really excellent. I mean, I've certainly been in therapy for years and years and years, but in the past six to ten years, eight to ten years, um, I I have found, I think, for me at least, a remarkable um, group uh, and, and what's the word I want? Um, Not philosophy, anyhow, system, I guess, is a good word, that really, Mm -hmm. that really gives me hope that, and also affirms the fact that, yes, we have both this glorious, wonderful determination, and we have this deep, shadowy part that says, oh, hell no, I ain't doing this shit. Mm-hmm. And that those two things live actually in all of us. Yeah. And it's not about um, transcending the negative aspects of ourselves or the parts that don't want us to succeed. It's about looking at them and saying, I see you. I see you, and I understand where you came from. And I'm choosing to go other way. You can come on, too, if you want to, but I'm not choosing your path. Or even in the times when I said, yep, you're right, this is deep, dark crap, and I'm shutting down for a while. But for me, it's been so important to have the support of other like-minded folks mm-hmm. in doing this work. And I will say that the organization is that I, you know, sort of, not belong to or 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 praise for this kind of work is it seems to me to be primarily white folks, but mm-hmm. there are more and more black folks coming in, and um it's good stuff it's, it's good, just stuff. good stuff it's good stuff so so you had this you had this this traumatic physical occurrence, the stroke I'm yeah. referring to twenty four twenty fourteen Three years mm-hmm. ago to the day, and yep. and it sent you on a journey. You were already yep. on the journey, and it's it's really remarkable that you had this sort of this moment that shook you out of your deep sleep in 2013. <laughs> we had a black president then. We had a yeah. black president. Obama was in office, but oh, we yeah, were like everything under, was good then. Everything was good, but everything wasn't so good. I mean, we were still nope. we were watching the the what they call white backlash 
Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, against the first African American president of the United States, and um, and so I think that that was a trigger for a lot of Black people, like this mm-hmm. idea um, that we could transcend race through the election of the first Black president. Yes. Um, and then crashing, coming crashing to reality, realizing <laughs> there was a huge segment of folks who just were not cool with mm-hmm. having black folks in the White House. And right, so, who weren't serving dinner. Yeah, and, it, and right, exactly, in shining shoes and, you know, what have you. Um, and so I think a lot of us kind of came to a, you know, a decisive moment during his, his administration, during his tenure, that mm-hmm. there was work still needing to be done right. to help to help with black liberation, to help with, you know, protecting our collective psyche in the face yes. of, of increasing hostility. Um, so you're moving forward with this work. When did, and you said you piloted a series, you know, you piloted a workshop. And how did that go? What was the it reaction to go. it? It didn't, That's the thing. it didn't go because oh, okay. of having the stroke. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to me to be a, at first a setback, but it was it, for me, it was the indicator that I needed to do more of my own clearing and healing work myself before mm-hmm. I could come out to, into the public and say, "Here, here's something. Let's try this." Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I, it was a false I mean, start, basically. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also. I got much more information um, from my own self-exploration um, to be able to offer to other people and much more understanding. I got a big understanding of my own privilege as a light-skinned black woman. Whoa, that was mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. What do you mean privilege? I am privileged? Oh, yes, I had been. <laughs> that was a big one. So talk about talk about that privilege. What does that feel like? No, um, I don't want know? to. I don't want okay. to. You don't want to? Okay. All right. <laughs> but that and that's the thing. Oh no. Oh no. I didn't want to own that. I didn't want to you look didn't at that. Own it. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. But I will own it. Mm-hmm. Um so what were you gonna ask me? I was <laughs> I just saying you know <laughs> you know, colorism is one of those things that, you know, rears it, its ugly head and, you know, black spaces on social media mm-hmm. uh, it continuously rears it. I mean it doesn't like a day doesn't go by when I'm not seeing some reference to colorism and I mm-hmm. see it as a form of violence and mm-hmm. um, you know people may criticize that I don't really care but I see it as a form of violence it's 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 taking on characteristic characteristics and a mechanism of power and control used by um, Mm -hmm. a white power structure to say, you know, you are unworthy because your skin is darker. You're unworthy. You're not as human. You're not as beautiful. You're not as worthy. Um, But I never kind of hear the discussion framed around trauma, not just, you know, trauma, in terms of how the words are kind of batted around, uh, pictures mm-hmm. are posted up, you know, which one is more beautiful. You had a lighter skinned person, like usually women, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which one is more beautiful, which one is not. Um, mm-hmm. But no one talks about like the wounding 
that that occurs mm, on mm-hmm. both sides. And so, right. like from your perspective, what what was that wounding like? Well, as a child, I think ultimately the wounding was that I was distanced from parts of my family, of my own my own family, my cousins, um, even you know some aunts who have since passed on, so I won't be mentioning their names, and I still got sure. a little stuff I need to do about that. But it's a way, and I think that it, it stems, I think this is definitely an epigenetic effect because during uh, during times of enslavement, okay, those women who were taken up to the big house and raped by white owners or wherever they were that occurred and had light-skinned children, those children then got separated from their parents and separated from most of the other enslaved Africans that were there. They uh-huh. probably had some place in the, in, the, in the plantation house. They may have even gotten educated, but they got special treatment. Uh-huh. And so that sets up a whole mechanism of animosity by darker-skinned folks who might even have been their mothers or half-brothers or sisters. It sets up perhaps like what I experienced, a longing for, why don't they like me? Mm-hmm. But then eventually it also sets up, well, I must be better than you because I'm mm. getting all of these things. In my own life and say contemporary life, I think that there is certainly privilege that I've experienced as a light-skinned African-American woman in terms of uh, service Um Depending on where I go, you know, let's just talk about a restaurant. Who gets treated better? And this isn't totally across the board. This is I'm speaking about my experience, not mm-hmm. anybody else's. But there may have been there have been times when I have been treated more favorably by whites because of the color of my skin. There are also times when I have been <laughs> considered. Uh, white by other white people, mm-hmm. and that's when I I fall into what I call I'm, I'm stealth black, which means I get the opportunity to sit around and wait for them to open their mouths and reveal their racism, and then turn and say very indignantly, "Oh, really? Well, I'm black." Mm-hmm. Now I have to tell you, I relish those times. It's like There's I think no- you know I, what came to mind when you said that was the the title the spook who sat by the door. <laughs> oh yeah. Um but what's fascinating yeah. about this about what you're sharing is the the echo between contemporary your contemporary experience and how you linked it to um what happened to uh slaves during slavery, um being separated. You you were separated from yes. your family in a lot of ways, but and and it's kind of an echo of what happened to slaves who were right. taken and brought to the quote unquote big house. Right. Um and it just shows you that this stuff doesn't go away. <laughs> no. You know, they it say doesn't. matters matters not cr- created or destroyed. You know, it just kind of reconfigures itself. And it's the same thing I'm like I'm feeling with trauma. It doesn't go away. Um right. we just have to learn ways to unearth it and and heal heal it yeah. as best we yeah. can. Yep. So being a stealth 
so Dark black, yeah. Black. <laughs> I love that. And Thank hearing and hearing some of the you know, being able to infiltrate um these spaces with white people, having been mm-hmm. accepted by them and hearing some of the things I'm sure didn't help <laughs> with your own journey. Um, but it gave you vital information. It how did you how did you manage also. with that? What's it, that? It gave me some pleasure also because to see people's faces when I would say to them, well, I'm black, and to see their faces just crumble. Uh-huh. Some white folks who think that they are, you know, pretty liberal or whatever, but they come out with some kind of racist bullshit. And yeah. I turn, I, I can see a couple instances in my face when a woman that um, I had eaten at her home and befriended her and blah, blah, this was in the Midwest. And mm-hmm. we were talking about something, a big layoff coming. I said, well, you know, I'm sure as a minority, they don't want to risk laying me off. And she said, what minority? I said, well, I'm black. I have never seen a face change so drastically <laughs> in my life. This woman's jaw dropped down to her knees. Wow. And she could barely get out of, 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 of are, are you, you're not black. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, mm-hmm. I am. And that was it. Never saw mm-hmm. her again. I mean, we worked in the same company, and talk about avoidance. Yeah. And I can only um, imagine what went through her head. It's like, my God, this one was in my house, sitting at my table, sitting on my sofa. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's a, it, it's true. You know, there's there's a little little sort of impish part, a little impish. Okay. There's a big impish part of me that was like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah. at your table. Yeah. I sat on your toilet seat. (laughs) (laughs) But the sad thing, the really sad thing is that I think whether or not the Willie Lynch letter is authentic or not, Mm -hmm. you're familiar Mm -hmm. with the Willie Lynch letter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. So there's controversy about whether it's real. It worked. Mm -hmm. It worked. Yep. All the things that were set out in that worked and are still working, and one of which was to separate black people so that they don't rely on each other and don't trust each other. And that's mm-hmm. where we are now. And that shit has got to stop. Yeah, it does. Right? It does. Right. It does. And the idea that, you know, somehow getting closer to whiteness is in itself its own reward is something ha. that we need to push back against and, yep. and you know, um, realize that the spaces that we create for ourselves can be infinite, infinitely more healing and more um, freeing and liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and I'm not saying that all white spaces are bad because they're not. I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm, but I'm saying when you aspire to that to the exclusion of or the derision of black right. spaces, then that's when you have a problem. When you start right. to value whiteness and white spaces more than the spaces that you co-create with people right. who look like you, um, right. who share that same legacy, um, that same legacy of pain, but pain and struggle and triumph. I mean, we also yes. need to remember that. Um, we are still here. <laughs> we're still here. We survive. And many of us thrive despite the trauma that we carry yes. in our tissues. And, and that's... Yes. And that is, I think, the challenge for a lot of black people, like the idea that if I do this, this, and that, you know, tick off those items on a checklist, mm-hmm. um, 
and get closer to whiteness, then I'll be whole. And it's like mm-hmm. the wholeness that I start by being aspirational to that that polarity. It's about mm-hmm. how much healing can you do inward, inwardly to make yourself mm-hmm. whole so that the spaces that you create and share with other black people have joy, have meaning, have mm-hmm. have life. Um yeah. and we're not always looking to whiteness to you know, to redeem or validate ourselves. Right. Exactly. Um, so um, so you were able, you, you had this false start, <laughs> you did more work, you did yep. more work and you yep. did more work. And then finally yep. you reached a point where you said, I'm ready. What did that feel yep. like? And what, and, um, and what did that lead to? Well, um, let's see, close to approaching that I'm ready, let's go. I had the second obstacle came up, which was um, I had to find a new home very quickly. Um, That was two years ago. And just to show you how spirit works, right, I'm crying and carrying on because it's like, I don't want to leave my apartment of 15 years. Oh, my God, I'm going to never find a place. And I found this absolutely wonderful place, Mm -hmm. which just happens to be um, across from a, a house where they believe there is an underground railroad station in the sub-basement that they just found. Okay. That's about a, that's about a year ago. And mm-hmm. with that, what happened for me is, because I, I, can, I can see this house right now. I'm looking out my window. I see it. Mm-hmm. What happened for me at that point was I believe I got an influx of energy from ancestors that may have passed through there. I'm a, I'm a you know, kind of out there, spiritual kind of girl, Mm-hmm. And I believe that they came. Uh, another friend of mine said, Irva, they called you there. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, okay. But I, I have experienced, um, I can't, I don't know how to say communication, right, but it is, it's a visceral communication. I don't hear voices. Nobody needs to call anybody for me. I don't hear voices. But I get the um like soul impression of folks. And I started writing really hard again, Mm -hmm. writing the workshop and rewriting some stuff. And at one point said on a day when I was just here by myself, I said, please talk to me, tell me what it was like. And I Mm -hmm. wrote the entire day. Mm -hmm. And after that, that was like in July. And then in October um, last year, I did the first one. Oh, wow. So it was an acceleration. It was an acceleration, man. I'm telling you, they were in here uh, just carrying on, carrying on. I had Mm -hmm. to tell them, look, look, I I need to sleep now. (laughs) They couldn't wait. They needed you to get it done. Well, I felt felt that. And little Mm -hmm. did I know why they were saying get it done, because then we had the election. Yes. Okay, so... Mm -hmm. um, Hmm. Yeah, so I did one in October before the election. I did another one after the election. And uh, the third obstacle came up just about almost a month ago um, where I sustained a fall and broke my arm and my back is out, and I've had to postpone the workshop that was scheduled for tomorrow. Okay, yes, yeah. So I figured, okay, there's which something is more than. Which ironically at the Johnson House, which yes. is 
we know was a huge, you know, it was a station on the Underground yes. Railroad. We know that. So yes, the parallels do. are just very uncanny. Don't Amazingly you think? so. <laughs> Truly. I mean, you know, hairs are standing up on my arm right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and actually the second one I did at Johnson House, and mm-hmm. that was just, it was stunning, just stunning. Well, talk a little um, bit about that. Walk us through what a workshop is like. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell all the secrets now. No, um, not all of them. This is enough to teach people to want to go sign up. Well, <laughs> for me, the first thing that I was thinking of is, like, well, what is the work based on? Okay, so my work is based on trauma recovery. You know, there's a whole field of practice of trauma recovery, and I've studied some, not all. It's also based on uh, epigenetics, which is like a big word. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? It means that we got crap inside us from generation upon generation of traumatized people. Mm-hmm. And some of it is unknown to us. So mm-hmm. there's there's a little exercise that I do for that that um, people don't like too much because it really <laughs> shows the stuff that is is living in us. Um, yeah. But they get it. They get it. Mm-hmm. And that was that particular exercise really was an inspiration piece because I'm thinking to myself, how can I explain this dry, boring topic and keep people engaged? And I got I got an answer pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about um, the third sort of foundation of my work is in energy, shamanic energy work. Now people are like, what? Yeah, explain what? that. Right. Explain that to me. What is that? Yes. Well, all the um, lay people out here who don't have no clue what that is. Okay. So, actually, you do. You just call it something different. Um, people go to church and get in, inspired by spirit. And in some places, there's laying on of hands. Other people believe in, like, indigenous cultures, ancient Native American, ancient South American, they have a, a particular person, man or woman, in their tribe who understands that there is not really any separation between the invisible world and the visible world, and that spirits do exist. People like, oh, I don't know about that. And so I say, you ever use a microwave? Well, yeah. So you put cold food in, you shut the door, you turn it on, it goes beep. You open the door and you get hot food out. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever see a microwave? Well, no. Because there is an invisible world out there of energy. Mm-hmm. All sorts of different... There's x-rays. Anybody ever actually view x-rays going through your body to make that picture? No. There's a different level of vibration that exists. My belief is that that... There are various dimensions of that, and that we can we can call on and we can cultivate our ability to work in that realm to assist us in the more dense physical realm. Mm-hmm. I, ho- I hope that wasn't too far out there. No, no, but, no, no. Uh, okay. No, so, I, I like the reference going back to you know how you how you um, reference energy, shamanic work, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, being a similar experience to being at church. And I think that 
makes it accept, accessible to black folks, particularly black I women. hope so. Um, I hope so. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not that, it's like, have you ever walked into a room and gone, mm-mm-mm, I don't okay. like it in here, mm-mm, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm out of here. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you tasted? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. But something has impacted some part of you that says, out, I'm out of here. You ever met someone that you didn't know and immediately just fell on them and were, like, comfortable and trusting? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. With no no logical basis, but you know. You know this is someone that you can trust, that you feel comfortable with, that maybe you've even known, shall I say, a past life in a past mm-hmm. life? Maybe. That's that's the energy realm. And it's, um, I think it's stunning. You know, I didn't see ancestors walking into my apartment here, coming up those those steps at the back of the house and coming in mm-hmm. here, but I knew that they were in here. And I you knew, knew that based on your subsequent reaction and motivation to get this workshop design finished and ready to go. Yeah. It was almost like they, they were, like, prodding you on, even though yeah. there's no physical evidence of that, Right. But the physical right. evidence is the actual workshop. Exactly. And when right? we talk about manifesting stuff, stuff mm-hmm. nothing has ever come about without first being a thought. Have you ever seen a thought? No, mm-hmm. but you've seen the result of it. Mm-hmm. Television, radios, anything, they didn't exist before. How come? What happened? Somebody thought, you know, maybe there could be something that had pictures in it. And t- and there was, there's TV, but it's it's all a continuum, I think in in the realm of creation. Mm-hmm. There are things we can see clearly with our eyes, and there are things that we can't, but they still exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Oh, cool. I mean, it is. Cool. It really is, and it's timely and it's relevant. And I think. I mean, just from where I sit, it turns black people into empowered beings versus, you know, one of the things I have trouble with is that is it, it, racism continuously invokes victimhood. Mm-hmm. That, you know, because we live in a system of oppression mm-hmm. that all we can be as black people is victims. And I'm not saying that we can't acknowledge the traumas that have happened to us, but at some right. point in order to move forward and ascend, what needs to happen? Some level of healing and transformation has to, has to occur. Yeah. And it has to occur for everybody. That's my belief, but particularly. And we for have to take us. part in that. Mm-hmm. We must take an active part in that. That's my belief. And what does the active part look like for you other than obviously participating in your wonderful workshop? That's it. That's the only thing that'll work. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, people. I'm telling you now. Sign up. Sign up. Let's get this done. (laughs) And and there is actually the possibility that there are other people working in this area. Um, I I believe that I know that. I'm just being facetious now. But it's like... Find what works for you. And when the resistance comes up, 
talk to a friend and tell them I'm resistant and get the support to move through the resistance. Because mm-hmm. I think that's what we, we haven't had for so long. And our our ability to connect and support each other is so, so fragile because of the ways we were taught to not trust each other mm-hmm. and the experiences that we had of loved ones being taken from us, sold. Mm-hmm. That's the epigenetic part. It's like in like in relationships, it's like if your your wife, your spouse was sold away and you're heartbroken, what are the decisions you make around that trauma regarding future relationships? Mm-hmm. I ain't going there again. Mm-mm, it don't make sense. Yeah. Why would I ever get myself involved in a loving relationship if all that's going to happen is he or she is going to be taken away or go away or could be killed? Okay, and that gets yeah. passed on. It gets all passed right? on. Right. And Same a lot of us don't understand that that's what's going on. Like we try to exactly. explain the phenomena in our community, right? you know, from all kinds of different vantage points. But this never comes up. No. Never comes up um, no. unless you're somehow connected to the community. And what I feel like you're doing is making it accessible to lay people, people who may be dealing and grappling with their own issues, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. may have, like, said, maybe I need to try something new to mm-hmm. get at what it is that is troubling me, keeping me up at night, mm-hmm. inhibiting my ability to have healthy, loving relationships with other mm-hmm. people who look like me, yep. um, doing things better, being healthier, being more aware, practicing self-awareness and gratitude. Mm. Um, something is hanging me up, and I need to figure out what it is. <laughs> Interesting you, know. you use the word hanging me up. Hanging me up. That that's that's a, a huge visual mm-hmm. that, you know, lives in us of, of people lynched. Lynched, yep. Yep, yeah. that's, a, that's huge. And I think that and impacts And the reality us a lot. is, it's like, Lynching didn't just, you know, happen like a thousand years ago. This is in our collective memory, contemporary yes. memory. This is not old stuff. No. No, it's not. <laughs> you not know. at all. Not at all. And I think that the, you know, we're not having people lynched now. They're simply being shot. Right. Black men are being right. shot. Black mm-hmm. children, black boy children are being shot. Mhm. Mhm. Um. So. Mhm. 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 Yeah. It's. it's I have to shake my, just shake my head. Yeah. Like, Very mm-mm. powerful stuff. So, going back to your association with Johnson House. Mm-hmm. Um. I love Johnson House. Um, I love it. Doing amazing work in the community. They're up in the Germantown section of, of Northwest Philadelphia. Um, all kinds of stuff are happening there, but they have opened up the space to you to allow you to do this work. How did that? Yes. How did that come about for you? Oh, you know, I, there are no coincidences. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. there's just no coincidences. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend called me after she had been at a meeting there um, because they were working on opening up more stuff. And she said, you know, I think you need to be in contact with Connie Swinson. 
Yes. And and talk to them and it's like, okay. Okay. So <laughs> I have I have learned not to resist these prompts anymore from spirit. Mm-hmm. Cuz spirit will take a frying pan to the side of your head if you don't get it the first time. You so I'm like, okay. Right. Okay, yeah. fine. And so went up there in spite of, you know, getting lost and finally met with Connie and um another woman who's on the board, Ancha, and mm-hmm. just ah you know, we fell on each other. Mm-hmm. Uh talked about the work. They talked about it, I believe, to their board and next thing I knew I was sitting in Johnson house with some folks around me, we were doing the workshop. And where do people come from? I mean, just ge- I mean, geographically, are they traveling very far? Are they coming from the neighborhood, or what? What is the makeup of folks who have taken your workshop at Johnson House? I'm just curious. Is this a community? It's embedded in the community. Of I hear you. Yeah. Um, the first one, the first workshop that I did, I did in Lansdowne. Okay. Um, and people came from sort of like West Philly and mm-hmm. sort of the surrounding areas, Upper Darby, stuff like that. At Johnson House, um, probably some from the community, but others were um, sort of word of mouth uh-huh. from some folks that had already taken the workshop. I will say that one of my uh, challenges is in promoting my work. I'm sure there are people listening right now who know me who are just shaking their heads going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, what um, does that mean but, when you say that you have challenges promoting? It means that that there is still the part of me that says, "Don't rile up the white people. Don't be doing this stuff. Shut up. You got too big a mouth. You're gonna hmm. get in trouble. You're gonna get us in trouble." And what that looks like in real life is that um, I don't advertise widely. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, this is sort of the first real promo thing I think that I've done. I don't go out and speak, although my certain friends of mine have uh, urged me to get out and just speak about this work. And I get, I think there's a place in me that gets fearful. Mm-hmm. I don't guess. I know that there is a, you know, there's a a, a, a kernel of fear in uh, in me that I'm still working on. Mhm. And so, do you think that 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 fear has a link to trauma um suffered by yes. our ancestors around, you know, any type of self actualization effort that our ancestors engaged in which shut down usually by immediately. Immediately. Yes. Like I think about efforts to learn how to read. Exactly. Obviously efforts to try to escape, <laughs> you know, or right. rebel were met with right. violence. Right. And so right. this work that you're doing is liberating. And so, you know, it makes sense to me. It may not make sense to other people. Why you might have that internal dialogue that sounds mm-hmm. like what you just described. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, you know, that is, I think, the work, my own internal work that I'm doing right now is finding um I don't know, not the determination, the determination is here, but activating the determination to get this work out more publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be 68 in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to be around, you know, I, mean, I got another, what, let's say 30-ish years, but this work needs to happen. Um, 
uh, I have to credit uh, Joy DeGruy for her work and her book called Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another another uh, part of. She's like a a mentor, not, not you know not necessarily physically, but um, I was so taken by that book, and I've seen her speak personally. That was great, and on YouTube stuff, and her work is just so riveting. And it's like, yeah, we got to get this out, okay? We got to get this out in the community because right now, right now, right now, we don't have time to be separated and to be untrusting of ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. We don't have time mm-hmm. for that right now. Exactly. It's an urgency that I feel that, um, as you and I talked about yesterday, you know, it took me a long time to postpone the workshop for tomorrow. I have a broken arm for Pete's sake. Yeah. And a bad back. And <laughs> I can't, I certainly can't drive. I can't move move around too well. And, you know, I can't be writing on a flip chart. My right arm is broken. Yeah. But I was going to try, I was going to try it anyhow. You going to try it. Like, yeah. I was, was going to try it. It's like, yeah, got to do it, got to do it, got to do it. <laughs> Someone said to me, well, that doesn't model good self-care for other black women. I said, well, mm-hmm. shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Did I Which is a whole other issue. Right. I Did I ask you for that? We work so hard as black women, you know. Yes. Because yeah. we know that there's urgency. Like, yes. You know, we know this, that it's right. urgent that this work be done. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. if we don't do it, you know, and I hate to say this, who's going to do the work? You know, who's right. doing this work? Right. Black women. Right. <laughs> Whether it's work that That's you're right. doing, I'm doing, you know. Um, mothers. You know, I think it's mothers. Even who are, mothers are doing this work in, yeah. in their own way. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so you know, finally it's like, okay, I'm pretty much okay with not being there tomorrow, I think. I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's like I got to get on the phone now and find some, get some new dates now, get some new dates. Yeah. And, and other places. I mean, Johnson House is wonderful. It's great. I would love to find other other sites that have that same sort of energy, um, not necessarily um, underground railroad stations, but places that have been doing, you know, black liberation work or from, or have it in the, in the foundation of the building. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's, it's energy that's there. Yes. Yeah. That so. can be picked up on and, and harnessed. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 So, um, so where, I mean, you talk about, you mentioned your age, your wisdom, your, you know, you're, you're going to be 68. Um, I can't believe what it. Is, but, yeah. I mean, what is, do you, have you been thinking about how this work will, I mean, we're not trying to move you into the next realm or anything, but have you, like one of the things that I marvel about, you know, just in terms of intergenerational issues, mm-hmm. you know, thinking mm-hmm. broadly about baby boomers and mm-hmm. Gen Xers. I'm a Gen Xer and, and how it feels like as a Gen Xer, you're waiting to step up and, and boot baby boomers are like, I'm going to keep going until I fall off. And you're like, <laughs> okay, so we'll just fall back and wait for y'all to, you know, no, we'll be 120 no, no. and we'll still be holding on, waiting for our chance. But no, 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 because... 
<laughs> no, no, it's like y'all, y'all come on over and let let's talk about this work. Let me let me share with you what I know, what I've learned, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, so that you can take this work. Because truly, you know, but at seventy, I don't want to necessarily be hauling my but around with all the stuff and trying to get places. I like to maybe be sitting somewhere and relaxing for a while. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I love I love training facilitators. I have done that in, in a couple other areas, and I love that. I am mm-hmm. a firm believer in passing knowledge on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, y'all come on down. So, you, so you're, you're entertaining the idea. I mean, you're thinking very yes. clearly about succession planning and making sure that this work continues. Yeah. Um, when you reach the point where you're like, I'm tired, I'm ready to just kick back and enjoy, you know, enjoy my life, relax, you yes. know, um, and let the let the younger folks, you know, you know, move this forward. Yeah. You have a plan in place to to make that happen. Yes, okay. and, and for me, that's that's um, this may be a dirty word, but that's a feminist issue, mm-hmm. in in the sense of true, uh, true feminism or true feminist um, theory or mm-hmm. whatever, is that um, passing on of knowledge um, is important. There are high. One of my favorite writers. Rianne Eisler says that there are hierarchies of uh, actualization and hierarchies of oppression. For me, uh, dominant cultures oppress others. Um, I'm not going to ascribe any gender to that right yet. Mm-hmm. And there are other f- feminist, woman-centered cultures that and pass their wisdom on. You see that mm-hmm. in Native American circles. You see that in a lot of other indigenous cultures where where wisdom is passed on. Mm-hmm. I see, seem to have some commitment um, to that aspect of passing on what I know. But it excites me to see other people doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's just like, it's tasty almost. It's like, yeah. look at you. Yeah. And it could be because I have no children. I just mm-hmm. thought of that. It could be because I have no children. But okay. there's nothing that excites me. Well, one of the things that excites me the most is seeing seeing people step into their own power. Seeing women, just face mm-hmm. it, Irva, seeing women step into their own power and just stride forward. And, honey, the more black women that do that, the happier I'm going to be. Uh-huh. That is powerful, you know, those are powerful words. I'm as we're talking, mm. I'm sweet, I'm live tweeting our conversation. Hopefully oh, you okay. get people to come and listen to this because I think that it is important that uh a record of the work that you're doing exists. Yeah. And um and that people understand that it's oper- that the work that you're doing operates in a larger framework and it and it's multidisciplinary and it's it's mm-hmm. not you know, narrowly defined. It touches on so many different aspects of the world that we live in. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what you just shared about women stepping into their own power um, mm-hmm. is is just it's riveting. You know, the idea that that we can lead the effort in healing. I mean, you know, you look at the you know 
time memorial, women have been healers mm-hmm. you know, since the beginning of time. It's, you know, yeah. We have that energy. We tap into it, um, especially when we know it's kind of necessary to, get, you know, to get it done. You know, right. and you talked about right. urgency. The urgency yeah. is, is very palpable. It's very real. Um, it's happening within the larger context of women coming into a new reality, understanding that mm-hmm. if we want a certain level of freedom and, and autonomy, we're going to have to fight for it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be given to us. You know, people no. are actively working against our ability as women to make our own decisions about our bodies and about, yes. you know, our yes. life path. And so, you know, it moves me, even though it troubles me that some women just kind of sat back for a long time. Um, but it moves me to see women stepping up. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. great. I think it's mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. And to know that you're operating in that framework as well is just so empowering. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, every time we talk, I feel like so much better after we get off the phone. It's like, you know, this work can be lonely and it can be frustrating. Yeah. Um, but to know that if I reach 68 and I'm still kicking, that's hey, a yeah. <laughs> It's a blessing. It is a blessing. So it is. Um, so we have about twelve minutes left. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about what's next for you. I mean, you've kind of outlined you had you had a had a workshop scheduled at the Johnson House mm-hmm. um, this Saturday, but you had to postpone it because of your your um, your injury. And but you'll be back. You'll be <laughs> yes, back. Yes, I will. You'll be, You'll be, you know, you'll be finding new dates and you'll be working earnestly to promote that. And you have, there's a website. Um, yep. People can go visit and keep updated. You have a Facebook page um, yep. as well. Um, the website is um, onesourceenergywork.com. And and the, the Facebook page is also One Source Energy Work, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. And so... Uh, are there any other places on the web that people can keep abreast of what's going on with the Soul Restoration Project? Um, not just yet, and I know that mm-hmm. my my web queen um, has. Oh my gosh, she's like, "Oh, you need to get Twitter and this, that," and I'm like, "Oh, it's blogging and blogging." It's like, what the hell is blogging for God's sake? <laughs> so. Um, I, I and I I pr- believe that she's probably listening in there and she's probably jumping up and down. Um, <laughs> so there there will be more there will be more stuff. I I mean I see I see the need for um, being able to um, connect with people more broadly. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, you know, I, this is this is me. I'm much more of a one on one or one on group you know, sort of face-to-face, let's talk, let's have some dialogue, let's just talk. Um, so I think the best ways to get me are through the website and through the Facebook page. And I'm happy to answer um, questions. And who knows, you know, maybe even come and talk. Y'all want to put a group together? Who ever wants to put a group together? And I'm happy to come in and chat and explore, explore mm-hmm. what we can do together. 
what we can do. And just to reiterate, these workshops are for women um, who have descended, who are African descended. And yes. I just want to, I want to revisit that point because I think mm-hmm. it's so important that spaces are created specifically for, for women um, right. like us to, you know, to be able to tackle these issues without having to filter that through the lens of whiteness and through the lens, you know, all these different lenses that, you know, ask you right. to kind of sublimate what it means to be a black woman in America, um, right. favoring other perspectives. Um, how has that in itself been healing for the women that have gone through your workshops? What have they said about um, that? I mean, I think that what I have heard is how appreciative they have been of hearing other people's, other women's stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't, for me, the age range is, is, you know, like 21 to if you can still walk. Okay. Um, and so there are varying levels of experience. And it's been, for what I gather from other women is that it's been very good, very wonderful to hear the different stories uh, from different generations that have attended mm-hmm. the workshop, mm-hmm. and as far as as you know, thinking about doing other groups, I or other other what's the word I want um, demographics, I guess is the word. Um, I think that the theory of the work can be applied to any group that has been systematically, systemically, and legally oppressed. Or one of the things that's specific to our group of African-descended folks is that there were laws in place that were, it was the law of the land. Yes. It was the law of the land. Yes. Um, and stuff was codified. Yes. <laughs> you know, people were like, we're going to make sure that y'all don't yeah, <laughs> do yeah, this, this and yeah. this. And I think that this work could also be well uh, well used in Native American cultures, and again, that's not my lived experience. There's stuff I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, if you want to take it and run with it, in terms of what happened to Native Americans when white people set foot on this country, mm-hmm. I think yeah, we, there's a lot of work to be done there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't presume to say that I know how that should be done. Yeah. Because that's not my lived experience. Mm-hmm. I think that for black and brown people around the globe, continents and countries, there's probably work that can be done that's based on this. And there's going to be some differences that I have no clue about. Right. So. And that's Okay. Yeah, I it mean, is okay. Right? It's okay to not know. <laughs> right. I think it's culturally, you know, culturally Americans think we have to know everything, and that gets us in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. But I think when you acknowledge that you don't know everything and it's, it provides an opportunity to learn and grow and expand and, you know, become more aware, that's better for us. As Americans, I think you might though, you might want to mention that to Congress in terms well, of Planned Parenthood, but that's okay. Uh, yes, yeah, but you know um, <laughs> that type of attitude 
has gotten us in trouble around the world. This yes, idea that we know and that we're going to tell everybody how it should be. Right. Um, and it's damaging and it, it, it's, it's wreaked a lot of havoc. And yeah. one of the yeah. things that frustrates me as a black woman who, you know, uses art to, you know, to provoke and inspire conversation is that those of us who are left <laughs> holding the most damage have to try to fix this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're running after toddler. You know, you're running after toddlers. You know, who are screwing up everything and trying to fix. And you know, bless the toddlers. But dang, it's like you grown men. Like when you look at the news and you look at the photos, who's at the table making these decisions? These are grown. White men who are deciding oh, for and all of old us. Too. They're old, just put well, it out there. They are old. You know, I don't want to be ageist, but yes, they are I old. <laughs> well, you can do that. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. And Every now and then. They're making right. these decisions, and they're not, they, like you said, lived experience. Yes. You can only talk about what you know, and what you yes. know, you know, starts with how you've lived and how you've experienced the world. Um, you know, yourself. And so it's just really fascinating to me um, (laughs) what, you know, the dynamic that exists that continues to perpetuate itself year in and year out. And, you know, you're like, all the people who have lived under this are trying to make sense of it and are trying to write the path made by people who just have no clue but feel the, you know, feel it necessary to decide for us. It's troubling, and I wish it's it would stop. <laughs> but you know, in the meantime, the work goes on, and True. so I, you know, in the last few minutes that we have together, I want to thank you, Irva, for coming and having this conversation with me. It's really been healing for me to mm-hmm. hear um, about your journey and about the work that you're doing. Um, and I'm so happy that we had this opportunity to share. Um, so too. I would encourage everyone to go um, to onesourceenergywork.com and figure out a way to keep track of what's going on. Follow the page on Facebook. Get those updates. Tell your friends. Help <laughs> share. You know, yeah. the only way we get the word out is if we share the word. And, um <laughs> You know, promotion is not a bad thing. Um, I think, you know, I think that this is something that people need to know about. You need to be having waiting lists for (laughs) for these workshops. You need to be, you know what I mean? Like, you need to say, I got 10 slots and I'm turning away 20 people. You know. That's fine with me. That's fine Um, with me because that means next month we'll do do that together, 20. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So is there anything else in the last few minutes that you want to share with folks before we start um, off? Just a quick one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this has been great, first of all, and I know you and I will talk after this at some point because I'm just sure. like I'm smiling all over. But Good. one thing when I was considering during the course of the three years of getting this workshop out, someone said to me, why do you want to do this? Mm-hmm. And it was part of a manifestation uh, class that I was taking. Why do you want to do this? And I said, it's the right thing to do. We need this. No, Irva, why do you want to do this? 
Uh-huh. And what came out of my mouth was for my own healing. For my own. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. My own healing. And if someone else can benefit from it, that's wonderful also. But there's stuff in me that needs to be healed. Powerful words from a powerful oh. woman. Thank oh, you so thanks. much. I mean, it's, I think we, you know, I know I did what I did for my own healing. I was angry. And I needed yes. to do something with that anger. And I yes. think that when what motivates us to get into this type of work is there's something within us that needs to be healed that's broken or not yes. functioning right yeah. that needs yeah. to be righted, that needs to be set right. So, mm. yeah, yep. you know, it just, it really makes so much sense to me. Um, and I appreciate the candor, the honesty, the warmth, the inspiring words. And, um, and with the last, like, minute left, yeah. I want to thank you, Irva, again for the work that you're doing. Check out the website, onesourceenergywork.com. Find the same on Facebook. Follow this woman. Learn more about this project. And thank you so much for joining. And donate. <laughs> thank you so much for, for the work that you're doing, Irva. Thank you, everyone, yes. for joining us today on this edition of Voices for Racial Healing. Check out the website, VoicesForRacialHealing.com. We're on Twitter. We're on uh, Facebook via race, Racism is a Sickness. Um, we have a website. And donate to our project as well. So mm-hmm. thank you, Irva. Thank you, everyone, thank for you. listening. And have a great weekend. Signing out. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.